last week, week before, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about letting go, which is basically the core Buddhist teaching. If clinging is suffering, then letting go is the antidote to that. And then last week I talked about just being, resting in being, which is what happens when you do let go. And I kind of offered that invitation during our meditation this afternoon. Just be. When you're able to let go, you're not caught up in, in a certain idea or a thing or a craving or an obsession or an, whatever it is, a habitual mind pattern. You're just with what is. And that kind of reminded me of this other teaching of uh, the Buddha, and it's um, often just referred to by the term ehipasiko, which means find your own way, which is very common. You, oftentimes you hear teachers say, don't believe it just because I say it, find your own way with this, see if it means, see if see how this lands with you and if it, if it helps alleviate your suffering or increases your suffering. That's a, that's a helpful um, pointer. And that, that teaching comes from the Kalama Sutta. And what, it, what that sutta is, that discourse, is the teaching where the Buddha goes to um, where the Kalamas live, and they welcome him, and they said, we're so glad you're here, but we have a, a dilemma, because every week some new wise person comes through and gives us a teaching and says, everybody else is bullshit, this is the one true path. And so we go, okay, and then we do that, and then the next week somebody else comes and says, no, that guy who was here last week, full of shit. This is really what you need to do. So, so Buddha, help us. And he said, and this is, this is a very, very powerful and well-known paragraph. <coughs> the Kalamas, who were inhabitants of Kesaputa, sitting on one side, oh, that's, okay, that's what they're asking him, saying, dudes, which one of these people are we supposed to believe? And he said, it is proper for you, Kalamas, to doubt, to be uncertain. Uncertainty has arisen in you about what is doubtful. Come, Kalamas, do not go upon what has been acquired by repeated hearing, nor upon tradition, nor upon rumor, nor upon what is in a scripture, nor upon surmise, nor upon an axiom, or a meme, I don't think he said meme, but, nor upon specious reasoning, <coughs> nor upon a bias toward a notion that has been pondered over, nor upon another seeming ability, nor upon the consideration, this monk is our teacher. Kalamas, when you yourselves know these things are bad, these things are blamable, these things are censured by the wise, undertaken and observed, these things lead to harm and ill, abandon them. And just as the reverse is true, um, when you, he's the, the, the beginning part of that paragraph, at the end he says, know yourselves. When you yourselves know these things are good, these things are not blamable, these things are praised by the wise, undertaken and observed, these things lead to benefit and happiness. Enter on and abide with them. So the, the, the instruction of the Buddha is, don't just believe it because somebody you like said it. Don't believe it because you read it somewhere or somebody told you or you've heard it a thousand times. Because you know, people can repeat a lie a million times and everybody will believe the lie doesn't mean it's true. 
what you have to do is find out for yourself whether these teachings are true or not and does it take you away or toward suffering. Um, it's about direct personal experience and not blind faith. Bhikkhu Bodhi wrote a piece about this sutta and he talks about this paragraph, this, this teaching of the Buddha being kind of a, a, um, uh, a jumping off point for people to kind of do whatever the hell they want. You know, say, well, I can pick this one from here and that one from there because I think that's what it really, it, more about it's appealing or it's the easier way or it's not so difficult because the way the Buddha teaches is not necessarily an easy way. It's, if anybody, if anyone in here spent some time, yeah, you're all going, yeah. No, it's, it's not. It asks you to sit and be with your experience, sit and be with the difficulty. You're used to, you know, deflecting and getting out of the difficulty, but this asks us to be with the difficulty. And in the, in, in I think the foreword to Bhikkhu Bodhi's book, The Eightfold Path, he talks about that too. He talks about spiritual, any spiritual tradition, if you're really dedicated to it, after a while it's going to ask you to go deep. And people have the tendency to bounce from one to the other, you know, just get the surface of this and the surface of that and the surface of the other. And he says, but really for any benefit you have to be with it to allow it to percolate through and get the rich benefit of the work that you have to do. And that is true. So to be cautious about using this teaching as a way to just go, ah, I'm going to go over here. I don't, I don't know if I believe that. I'm going to go over here because it's a little bit easier. And they promised me faster enlightenment. This one takes too long. That one's quicker. You know, this one's got 10 steps. That one has 20 steps. I'm going to go, oh, but that's somebody over there has five steps. So. You know, watch the mind always kind of chasing the easier way. So how this teaching is held and what's important about this is the Buddha says you have to see clearly. You have to recognize greed. You have to recognize aversion. You have to recognize delusion. It's hard to recognize delusion, but you have to be willing to notice or pay attention. You have to... Um, you have to land in the teachings. And the teachings are very clear. There's the Four Noble Truths. The, the, the underpinnings of our suffering, of our discomfort, is our wanting things to be yummy all the time. And we get caught up in that. And when we get caught up in that, we create suffering. We create this cycle of being born into this person who wants something. I'm taking birth as a person who wants cooler weather because I decided it's too hot. So I'm taking birth as, when is it going to cool off? You know, that's, that's a place of suffering. That's a place of discomfort. That place of not being okay with the way it is. Not saying you condone the way it is, but an acknowledgement of like right now it's like this. So you have to be willing to land in the teachings, land in, the, in the, 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 the wisdom of the Eightfold Path, of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, the Eightfold Path of recognizing, um, especially the precepts, wise action, you know, is what you're doing causing harm? Is what you're doing cultivating compassion? Is what you're doing 
causing harm? Are you causing harm with your speech, or are you being wise with your speech? Are you taking what's not offered, or are you being generous? Are you practicing generosity? So you gauge your behavior based on the, these parameters, the, these precepts, this, this, um, this way of being. It's about, it's about taking refuge. It's about taking refuge in the, in the Dharma, the Dharma both as the teachings and the way it is. You know, really being willing to hold, make space for what's happening right now. Um, but it takes time. And that's why this, these last couple of weeks when I've been talking about letting go and letting be, it's really important because when you let go, you let go of those mind states, you let go of that, that craving, that idea of, of what it's supposed to look like, and you're willing to say, okay, what is it really? And then you drop below, and when you let go of all that, that stuff, you're able to be, and you're able to make space for what, what actually arises. I remember who I was talking to. I was talking to somebody yesterday, and she was lost in what if. She was like in this, I think she talked to me for 10 minutes, and, and it was one big what if. You know, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if the other happens? Blah, 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 blah. And I, and I stopped, and we, we, I, I brought up the word fear. And it's like, what's underneath that? And there was fear. Fear about something totally different over here. But she was, you know, lost in the what ifs of over here. First you let go of the what ifs, and then you just are, and you make space for the fear. You hold it, you turn towards it. You're willing to be with what is. And that's when you begin to uncover the truth, and you begin to say, oh, when I chase this idea, I think it's supposed to turn out a certain way. I, I think it's supposed to be this outcome. And when you, when you cling to that outcome and ignore, um, oh, I'm being driven by fear, and that's what's causing me. Can I let go of that need for that outcome? If you hold on to that, you continue this cycle of discomfort. But when you're willing to let go and be with the fear, you make space for it. You make space for it, and maybe you, you, you develop this inner wisdom of like, oh, okay, I see what's really going on. And when you make space for it, um, then it, there's a whole different relationship to it. You develop a very different relationship to what's going on underneath. You're able to, I know my experience, things that I ran away from forever. A, I didn't know they were there. B, when I got close to them, I'm like, fuck no, I'm out of here. C, this, these teachings said, okay, no, you actually have to stay put. You can't run. You have to sit with what's going on. We have to D, D to be with what was there and go, Ugh, and feel it. And you know, it's never what you think it's going to be. It's always something different. But you begin to cultivate that wisdom when you are being with. It's like, oh, this fear is what's driving me to do things I don't want to do or say things I don't want to say. I wish I could remember what she was saying, you know, the things she was doing, um, driven by these what-ifs. Oh, I know, she was getting into the what-ifs letter to, she was working on this project that, you know, it's, it's, she was doing this writing that she had given her heart and soul to for years, and it was almost done, it was almost coming to fruition. 
and she got lost in the what ifs. And what the what ifs took her to, fuck it, I'm out of here. And she was ready to just dump the whole thing. Because you get so caught up in the mind. So you have something that's really dear to you, but you're willing to trash it because there's so much fear there, if that makes sense. But that's, that's what, if we're not stopping and paying attention, we're going off in directions so far away from where we want to go. And if we, the Buddha says you have to see clearly, that method is taking her towards suffering. It's bringing her towards this place of, ow. Whereas if she learns to sit and be, there's a, it may be painful, but it's not, not, um, it's not kicking the can down the road. It's not creating more and more suffering. It's not shooting yourself with the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth arrow with the darts. You are grounded. You're able to be with the, the difficulty. You'll be able to be with the unpleasantness, if it's unpleasant. You're, and you are able then to um, know truly for yourself what's real and what's actually going on. You can touch your wisdom. And if you're grounded in these precepts and in these teachings, the Eightfold Path, the Four Noble Truths, then you can move in a direction that's wise, that doesn't cause harm, that cultivates compassion and kindness for yourself and for others, because you're not driven by these other emotions that are invisible, that you're not seeing, that are driven by craving and aversion and delusion. Just thought of an example, but it went like beep, beep. So I'll move on to this next piece. Um, you know, the rest of the sutta goes on, and it says, you know, you have to recognize that when you are in this place of wisdom and seeing clearly, then you abide, when there is an absence of greed and hatred and delusion, then you abide with goodwill and compassion and equanimity. That's the result of being able to just be. You're able to be with, what does he say? You, um, you're, you're devoid of coveting, of ill will, and you're undiluted, and you clearly comprehend uh, what's present. You do, dwell with the thought of goodwill towards all, to every quarter. It's like north, east, south, west. You dwell with goodwill. You dwell with compassion. You dwell with joy and you dwell with equanimity to all quarters. When you see clearly and you're not bound by greed and hatred and delusion, you're able to sit with this equanimity without this, this, this flavor of causing harm. And we're able to trust. We're able to see clearly. Oh, I know what was, what was uh, popped into my brain. You know, we have to do the difficult work. We have to do the difficult work. The easy way out is where fundamentalism is born. Because fundamentalism is the, the um, absolute, it's an absolute. This is the way it is. Somebody somewhere has decided that these are the rules. And there's no varying from these rules. If you vary from these rules, you will be ostracized in however we choose to ostracize you. And that causes harm. If you look at it, it causes harm. Fundamental Buddhism causes harm. You look at the, the horror that the Buddhism, Buddhists in um, 
in Indonesia, in, in Burma, are, are doing to the Muslims. They're hanging the Muslims. It's horrific. And it's, it's happened throughout the ages. Buddhists are not exempt from this shit. They're absolutely not exempt because there's that fundamental. There's that, no, we are the right. This is the way it is. There is no other way. And that's why you don't want to get caught up in believing, oh, that's it. That guy says it, so I'm going to believe him. If it's on Fox News, it must be true, you know? Or if it's on MSNBC, it must be true. No, see for yourself. Does this direction cause harm? And it's not so black and white. It's not so easy. That's that, that, that quote from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, which I can't ever remember um, perfectly, but he says, we wish... We wish people were purely evil, because if they were, if there were purely evil people, it would be so easy to just cut them out. But they're not. People are complex, and aren't we all complex? And to recognize that. But it's also a teaching of accountability and how people must be accountable for their actions. You know, people are accountable for their actions. So, um, myself, you know, if I if I do something that um, because I'm driven by or I'm caught up in greed or I'm caught up in craving or I'm deluded and I cause harm, I have to take accountability for the harm I cause. Absolutely, that's what this is talking about. You know, not that, that I'm only following orders does not work. That does not work. And so there is an element of effort that's required in this practice, an absolute element of effort. This, this continual watching and checking and going, okay, is this, where is this taking me? Where is this taking me? And I think when you're starting out on this path, um, I, I came to this path deluded. And I think most people come with a certain level of delusion um, uh, before they begin to see how their, their habitual thinking has caused harm. Or they recognize their habitual thinking, but they're kind of struggling to find a way out. At least that's my, my experience. And, I, and in the teaching of the Buddhist personality types, there's the, the greedy kind, the greedy person, and the aversive person, and then the deluded person. And I thought, I was the deluded person because I was deluded, but now I realize I just was deluded, but I'm really the greedy type because everything to me is shiny and I want. I want, it, I want that experience, mostly experiences. I want experiences rather than stuff. I want, I want to do that, I want to do that, I want to do that, I want to do that. So I have to, oh, Mary, no, you're just, that's your greedy personality. It's okay, you don't have to do that. But we all have a certain level of delusion. This practice asks us to make the effort to cut through that delusion. And when we're doing it, we don't do it alone, which is why I talked about, I mentioned the refuges. We take refuge in the Dharma, but we also take refuge in the Sangha. We take refuge in the community of people who are also on this path. We find some people who've been doing this for a while, who we trust, who we see they walk the talk. Not that they're perfect. You know, Pema Chodron says, even enlightened beings get snot in their nose when they have a cold, however, they are following a path of not causing harm and accountability. And it's really important. 
is really more important. So ehipasiko um, is not just a yeah, go off and find your own way. It's really see for yourself what is true, really with an embrace of these teachings and a, and a willingness to be honest, to be open, to see clearly where you are deluded, where you are caught up in craving and emotion. To see clearly, it's like, oh, this is where my work is. And I think, it, you know, we all have to start where we are. We all have to start where our work is. We're all different. All of us in this room are different. We all struggle with different things, which is, again, why one size doesn't fit all. You know, one size doesn't fit all. We have to examine our own lives. Where are we suffering? What's causing us the most suffering? the most discomfort, the most stress. That's where we have to look. You know? um, there's another sutta uh, called the Atta Dipa Sutta, which is where the quote, be an island unto yourself or be a, a lamp unto yourself comes from. And that's the one that says, be your own refuge. You investigate into the heart of things. You have to investigate your own heart and see what's true for you. And sometimes it's lonely. Because you might be the only voice. But I have found in doing this work that the, the freedom that comes from having that foundation of the precepts, because I believe wholly and um, fully in these teachings, the, 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 the precepts and the Eightfold Path, in their purest sense, I really believe in, um, you know, Bhikkhu Bodhi points out that, you know, they're so relevant and you can use them in 21st century United States as, as 17th century, you know, Sri Lanka or wherever. They're relevant because they're so pragmatic. They're not tied to, you know, don't eat shellfish, you know, but it's like, who is it? I think Chris Rock said, but yeah, now we have refrigeration. Is that, is it okay now? You know, because why those rules were created does, don't exist anymore. Whereas this is an ongoing, are you causing harm, are you not causing harm? You know, it's a really a, a very different perspective. So it's, it's relevant. And so I feel um, great comfort in these teachings because there is a relevancy and a place for me to land where I'm solid. I am solid in the voice. I am solid in the teaching. And go, no, I'm I'm good with this. I'm I'm really okay. So those are my thoughts. We have a couple of minutes to, to talk or ask questions or um, rebut or anything. And you can leave whenever you have to. I know you have to run out. Oh you're good. Okay, Any questions or comments or thoughts on this? Can you talk a little bit about the word that you you were talking about the sort of like that intersection between this is the way it is right now and then not. I think you use the word like condoning, like not mm. condoning, because I find like that, mm. mm -hmm. like that crux seems to be very tricky. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a difficult place that a lot of people trip up on. It's like because. Buddhism teaches let go, you know, this is the way it is, which is oftentimes thought of as condoning. And it's not, it's an awareness of reality is what it is. It's like, 
you know, um, our country today, in my opinion, is pretty, there's some pretty horrific things on. I accept they are happening. And, and you can find a different word if that just, just doesn't land well, because different people have different experiences of words. Um, so if that acceptance, a lot of people think acceptance means um, liking or condoning, and it doesn't. It just means acknowledgement of reality, which is what we spend our time not doing. We don't acknowledge reality because we don't like reality, so we try and argue with it or get into a fistfight with it or rail against it instead of saying, no, this is the way it is, okay? It's really fucked up right now. You know, there's kids in cages. There's all kinds of stuff going on that we don't even hear about because we're so distracted with all these other things but are really damaging our country. I believe damaging our country in many, many ways. Um, and some old stuff that's like just, woo, free for all time, you know, the systemic racism and misogyny and all that stuff that's been going on forever that's now going, yay, we have some fun times now. So recognizing that I accept this is the way it is right now. You know, when people go, this is not our country, it's like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> Acknowledge the reality of what's present, but that doesn't mean saying it's okay. And recognizing that the people who are caught up in perpetuating this stuff, half of the time they're deluded, they don't see it, they're caught up in greed. Greed is rampant in our society. I'm The more and more I'm involved with this other organization that I work with, I'm on the board of, the more I see economic justice is paramount. You know, this economic justice is so necessary because you take economic um, stability away from people and they are putty. You, and then you pit them against each other, and history has shown us over and over again. So the acknowledgement of that and the acceptance that this is the way it is and that causes grievous harm and can I do something about it? Because it's causing harm. So the, um, the precept is not just um, don't cause harm, but work to end it when you see it. You know, the, the, there's a sutta um, from the Majjhima Nikaya that talks about having put down his weapons, I'm paraphrasing, but it's having put down his weapons, he then lives cultivating compassion towards all beings. That's the first precept. It's like you put down your weapon and then you go out and you work for ending harm. So it's about acknowledging but not condoning and saying, no, actually, this is bullshit and doing whatever you can where you are with what you have to, to fix it, even if it's just like marching or writing letters or doing whatever, telling your friend, no, that ain't okay, that kind of thing. So that, does that, that yeah. It's a, very, it's, a, it's a very important point that has to be made over and over again because people misunderstand that. They think Buddhists are a bunch of pacifists, and some of them are. In fact, I had somebody tell me that I shifted his idea of Buddhists because all the people he knew, he's this activist rabbi, and he, all the Buddhists he knew prior to me were just like throwing magic pixie dust on people, going, compassion, compassion. It's like, no, you, that's good, but you also have to do this. So thank you.